The scripture reading this morning is John 1, 35 through 51. Please, you're standing. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he watched Jesus walk by. He exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and then remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, are you the son of God? Are you the king of Israel? Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will come, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, too, uh, am excited to start this Explore God series next Sunday. I've been thinking about it a lot. Obviously, we've been talking about it quite a bit. But I need to confess, uh, and we're friends here, so I can do a little confession. Uh, this initiative is kind of outside of my comfort zone, to be honest with you. That might seem shocking to have a pastor say that. Simon has shared his story with you in the past several months of, of coming to faith as an adult, he would say an informed atheist with a lot of questions. Some of you know that my story is really quite different than that one. I really don't remember a time in my life where I didn't know Jesus. 
I grew up in a faithful home, church every Sunday, it wasn't even a question. No periods of significant faith, crisis or, or, or doubt, really. I, I was in churches, four different churches in four states that were very similar to this one uh, throughout my childhood. I remember I prayed a simple prayer at age six, but it wasn't, at least in my mind, some massive transformation. I've known the love of God throughout my whole life. Now, I've certainly had questions. Uh, I've had doubts at times. But never the variety that caused me to question my faith altogether. So, this is a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And that's really good. Uh, It's good to do things that are outside of your comfort zone, especially when you know that God is in the midst of them. So I'm ready to dive into it. But I'm really thankful for this text this morning as uh, these calling of the disciples in John chapter 1 is a bridge. It's, it's kind of a perfect segue as we close our study of John chapter 1 and move towards the next seven weeks of Explore God, especially for someone with my story. Because the refrain of this passage, which I, I, I'm guessing you picked up on, it was repeated a couple times, is so non-threatening and so welcoming. What is it? Come and see. Come and see. Just come and see. I love that refrain, come and see. You might have already invited friends, neighbors, family to come and explore God with us this, this winter. Maybe you're still praying about those who you could invite and, and ask these questions along with us. But either way, I love the posture of come and see as what we're really doing here. It's inviting and it's warm and it's caring and it's full of, of a wonder too. Just, just come and see. You see, I love this refrain because it's kind of true to my story. Like I said, I don't have periods of significant doubt in my story or rebellion, but I do have a lot of little come and see moments. Most prominently when I was in high school. Some of you have heard this before, but I, I went to a Christian high school in Minneapolis, um, but I was largely going through the motions of my faith as a teenager. My faith was real, it was active, it was important to me, but probably not as real and active and important as my friends and my social status and sports success and those kinds of things. I felt those things much more acutely than I did my own faith life. So as a sophomore, I I got connected with a group of seniors that I thought were pretty cool. And one of them invited me to a Bible study that they were a part of. He said, Mondays, it's at our friend Dan's house. He's an adult in our church. He um, helps out with our youth group. It's on 38th and 50th. I know exactly where it is in Minneapolis. Come at 4 o'clock. So I remember the first time walking up to Dan's house to this Bible study. I had a Bible and a notebook. I was expecting to sort of sit in a circle with my friends for maybe an hour or so, maybe learn something, maybe not, and then head home. So I knocked on the door, but nobody answered. Had I come to the wrong house? I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I walked around the other side, and I heard a noise going on in the garage. I peeked in the garage, and there my friends were in the garage in a hot tub watching The Simpsons uh, on a large screen TV. Not exactly what I was expecting for the Bible study, but... I thought that was pretty great. They had an extra swimsuit, so I hopped in. We laughed. Dan, the owner of the house, eventually uh, showed up after work for him with with a bunch of pizzas. A little while later, he knows the way to a high schooler's heart. We ate and we laughed some more. Bible study started at around 6.30, and we read God's word, and we prayed, and we wrestled with some questions, and we shared about our lives. And before I knew it, it was 8.30 and I realized that I had not called my mom to let her know where I was. That's how good it was. That's how good it was. 
It wasn't a lecture. There was no compulsion in this study. It was a come and see event. Just come and see. I continued in that Bible study throughout the year, and it became a, a catalyst for me to put my, my faith first over my friends or my popularity or, or sports. And it really caused me to hear God's voice in my life and follow him towards uh, a call to ministry, lifelong ministry. So for some of you, you need that come and see kind of experience, a warm, inviting place to bring your questions, to bring your life, whatever it is that you bring with you, whether you're a person of, of deep faith or you would call yourself an informed atheist. You might just need that invitation. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. For others of us who have had such experiences, we may have a heart for others to experience the very same. I know that I do. I want everyone to experience those come and see moments that I've experienced, a warm community, laughter, and questions and a sense of God's presence. And this is absolutely the kind of culture that we should be striving to cultivate here at Hinsdale Covenant Church, a come and see culture, come and see culture. I, as, as Julie was reading this, I, I realized that maybe I preached the wrong sermon because there were so many things in this text that I love, but one of the things that I picked up on was Jesus says, come and see about himself, but Philip also says, come and see to his friend, doesn't he? That Jesus, it's Jesus' invitation, but it's also something we can come alongside and say, hey, come and see this. But that is Jesus' invitation to the disciples in, in John chapter 1. For those of you who have been brought to Jesus in the past by way of things like guilt or shame or compulsion, for those of you who have been given tracts or, or sold books, those who have been coerced or, or pressed into faith through fear, please know that that is not the biblical motto in any way. Those are flawed, human, fumbling attempts, sometimes well-intentioned, to encourage people to find faith in Jesus Christ. But they fall short of the biblical model, which I think is much closer to what we see in the end of John chapter 1. Come and see. So I hope and pray that we adopt this mode of sharing the good news rather than the former. And as we consider that, I want to point out five truths that, that John provides in this passage, in this call to come and see in, cha in John chapter 1, which I think will, should solidify for all of us that this is the mode of sharing the good news that we are meant to follow. So five things from this text. The first is, there's an invitation to enter into the story, even for us. Up until this point in John's gospel, if you've been hanging out with us through Advent, you know that there's really only been one character so far, and it's John the Baptist. As I confessed back in December, John is not exactly the kind of character that I identify with, or I think many of you probably identify with, or one that I'm even particularly drawn to. There's just a lot, he, he's kind of an odd guy in some ways. But by contrast, these first disciples that we meet at the end of the chapter, Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, I don't know about you, but they seem really relatable to me, don't they? They're ordinary characters. They're people on a quest, people who are searching for something, searching for meaning. I think that, that John, the author, recognizes sort of a turning point here in the gospel. He's been pretty metaphysical for most of this first chapter in, in, in creation and word and light and darkness and and this kind of cryptic John the Baptist character, and now it's time to introduce some characters that we can really truly relate to. 
we can enter into the story through them and meet Jesus in much the same way that they did. And this is a vitally important technique for the gospel writers because they know, I think they know, that it's never going to be satisfying for us as readers to hear about Jesus and just make a choice to believe. I like that story, so I believe in that story. That's not a sustaining faith. I think they know that relationship with Jesus must be entered into and not just pondered upon. So in these early chapters, uh, in, this, in this first chapter, these early disciples, when I look at them, I see a little bit of me, and I see a little bit of you, and I see a little bit of us, and it becomes a portal for us to enter into the story of Jesus as well, a really relatable entry point. The second thing that you might have picked up on in this text is that John translates into our language so that we can make it our own. Did you notice that three times in just a few verses, John uses parentheses? We don't see a lot of parentheses actually in scripture very much, but John uses them so he can translate a word. Each time he does so, he is making a Hebrew or Aramaic word accessible to Gentile readers who don't know that language. And guess what? That's, that's most of us here. So maybe you approach Jesus sort of cautiously like these disciples do, but then John, what he's doing here is he's treating you pretty gently. He's translating things for you so that you don't feel lost in the language. He says in parentheses, rabbi, that means teacher. Messiah, that means anointed one. Cephas was the the Aramaic word for rock or stone. You see, a, a come and see approach to introducing Jesus is always going to require some translation, some contextualizing, some understanding of your audience, which John very clearly does here. The third thing I see in this passage is that meeting Jesus will likely mean some sort of new identity for us. Probably, for sure, (laughs) will mean some new identity for us if we're really coming and seeing. Andrew and Simon and and another unnamed disciple are searching for Jesus, and when they find him, he gives them a new vocation, a new calling. Come follow me. This is what you do now. Simon actually gets a new name. He gets the name Peter, which is Greek for rock. And names in the ancient world are, are extremely significant. They speak of the family that you come from, but they also speak of your character, your gifts, something to live into. In some ways... We, we have a little bit of this as we carry on our surnames, right? This is part of our heritage, our history, as well as the significance of some of the names that we carry. Uh, maybe you're named after somebody. I'm guessing it's because they were a person of character. So to, to assume a new name would really be to assume a new identity. And I have to believe that many of John's uh, original readers, original audience, as they meet Jesus in this gospel they would sense that Jesus is calling them to a new meaning and purpose as well. And that they might even yearn to be renamed by Jesus and sent forward. So in other words, John is very upfront about the reality that meeting Jesus is going to change you. It's going to mean identity change for you. It's going to mean a change of direction, a change of purpose, perhaps even a change of core identity like a name. So any gospel that speaks of Jesus but doesn't require change, that's not the gospel that Jesus himself preaches. Fourth thing, and and this is so clear in the story of Nathaniel, when we look for Jesus, we find that he's actually been searching for us. 
When I was in junior high, I, um, I was invited by some friends to go play paintball. Uh, I thought that sounded like a lot of fun. I'd never done it before. So I was outfitted with some grubby clothes and with goggles, and we went out into this field, and, and somebody loaned me a paintball gun and showed me how to use it and explained kind of the rules of the game and the field and how it all worked. And a horn sounded, and the game was on. And I, and I remember just being really excited, and, and I ran from the starting place to, to, to try and find my mark, to try and find somebody on the other team. And within like a nanosecond, a, a, a paintball whizzed right by my head, and then another one got me right in the side. And I darted behind a tree, and I remember thinking that it was only at that moment that I realized that I had not even contemplated at all that there was another team pursuing me. (laughs) That it wasn't just me pursuing them, that somebody was trying to get me to. The difference was they knew what they were doing and I didn't. (laughs) And I think we often think of, of Jesus in a similar way. Like seeking Jesus is really our initiative. These disciples in the passage clearly thought they were pursuing the Messiah, but they didn't seem to realize that the Messiah, Jesus, was actually looking for them. And he was far more adept at doing so than they were. (laughs) We get the distinct sense that that Andrew and, and, and Simon Peter come to understand that when you go looking for Jesus, that he is actually looking for you. He's been looking for you for a very long time, and he's been looking long enough that he he knows you and he names you and he calls you. Nathaniel's a little bit of a, a tougher sell than the previous disciple, Philip, in this passage. When told that the Messiah, Jesus of, of Nazareth, uh, is here, he responds with what can only be considered a snarky comment, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, maybe this is just a case of regional rivalry. I kind of think that's what's going on. Nathaniel is from Cana, uh, which, is, which is nearby to Nazareth, so it's, it's kind of a I like to think of it as more of a friendly jab, sort of like uh, athletes from rival high schools or something like that. But either way, there was some skepticism and perhaps even a jaded spirit in Nathaniel. And yet when Nathaniel and Jesus meet, Jesus speaks as if he's known him for a very long time. And, and, and it's clear that Jesus has been pursuing him. And, and Nathaniel goes, how do you know me, Jesus? You don't know me. How do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's cryptic. It's maybe even a little bit strange, but Nathaniel clearly feels pursued by Jesus, so much so that he gives him the exalted title of of son of God. Yes, even when we reluctantly look for Jesus, we find that he's been waiting and searching for us the whole time. Which leads me to the final truth, an exciting one, and that's the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. For Nathaniel, he was blown away that Jesus even noticed him under the tree, that he saw him. So he decided in that moment that he was indeed the Messiah. And Jesus' response is really, really wonderful to Nathaniel. He says, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than these. He said, Very truly I tell you, you'll see heaven. Open and the angel of God, angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here Jesus actually employs some Old Testament language from Genesis chapter 33, the uh, Jacob's ladder uh, that, that we read about in Genesis, where Jacob gets this vision of, of heaven and earth colliding, uh, a ladder and, and angels descending and, and ascending to do God's amazing works. It's as if he's saying to Nathaniel, 
You're amazed by me noticing you that I just noticed you? Wait until you see what I'm going to do. You're going to see heaven and earth opening up to each other if you will simply follow me because I'm the center of that. So we can focus on moments of decision and we would often celebrate Nathaniel's confession of Jesus as the Messiah as, as this is the turning point of his life and in some ways it is. But Jesus is pretty quick to say, oh no, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Jesus' goal was not merely to bring these men to moments of decision about him. No, that's just the beginning of their story. His plan is to do so much more, to show them the wonders of heaven here on earth. And that promise is for us as well. God's not finished with us yet. The best is yet to come. So with these five truths that, at least for me, they leap off the pages and straight into my lap this morning, I think they can be broadly applied to all of us. We are invited to enter into God's story, not merely believe in its truth, nor be consumers of its benefits, but truly to enter into it fully. We get this message, not in some sort of cryptic language, but in our own language, our own context, because Jesus' message is for all people, and his truth is beyond human language. We need to be aware that the gospel of Jesus is likely to change us. It's going to have demands upon our lives. It's going to offer us a new purpose, a new calling, even a new identity. As we search for Jesus, we find that he's constantly searching for us, even amidst our skepticism, our cynicism, and our doubts. And we receive the promise that the invitation to come and see is merely the beginning, that the best is indeed yet to come. So let me invite you to explore God with us one last time before next Sunday. But I do so with these words, come and see. Come and see. Maybe you need an experience, uh, a come and see kind of a moment like I had in, in South Minneapolis. A warm place to meet Jesus and hear from him. Maybe you're being called, as Philip and John did, to, to encourage others to come and see to sit with them, to hold questions with them, to point them to Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical and you're jaded like Nathaniel. Maybe you forgot what it feels like to come and see Jesus and you need a refresher. Whatever it is, you're being invited into a story that is happening within a context, this very context, one that has the potential to change lives, even yours one that will introduce us to the God that we thought we were pursuing, but who's really been pursuing us all along. A story in which the best is yet to come. So I hope that excites you as much as it does to me. Let's come and see this Jesus that everybody's talking about. Amen? Amen. In a couple minutes,